Dr. Jason Becta, and this is Out of the Basement, a podcast exploring radiation medicine and things that don't generate grant funding or tenure. I'm board certified in radiation oncology and have a PhD in molecular radiobiology. And though I am a doctor, I'm not your doctor, and none of this content should be considered medical advice. For our intro episode here, we have Matt Spraker of WashU and now Colorado fame, well, I guess Twitter and Accelerator's fame, joins me to talk about our respective jobs and our understanding of things like contracts and RVUs and workload and uh, really just kind of talking about things as we understand them from our experiences and hopefully other people will find them helpful as well in their job search, either their first job search or considering switching from one type of environment to another. So um, hopefully this is helpful to somebody, at least one person for at least one thing. Maybe not, but we're going to try anyway. So uh, let's join in uh, on a conversation Matt and I recorded uh, a couple of weeks ago. What makes the job market complicated is like people don't, they don't realize that like, you know, the impact of a small field on like your day-to-day job search life because you end up taking these like weird compromises because jobs come when they come. Right. So, right. but we, so basically we, um, I, you know, I, I can just say that I was like not super happy at the end of 20, uh, 2020. Um, and I was starting to consider looking, um, and then right around that time, my friend at work, uh, left and took a new job and, and she was, um, the, the medical director role that I, that I took over, and um, it was a little bit of a shift for me because it, it gave me an opportunity to focus on community engagement and kind of building services, which is sort of what I wanted to do. So I got really excited and like invigorated about work again um, and took that on. And right around that time, we like, we're like, all right, well, we're staying, let's buy. And um, we looked around and the St. Louis market's really weird in that you, there's not a lot of... Um, like we didn't want to buy like a starter home. We wanted to buy kind of like a nicer house, but the choices are like live far away from the city in a big, really big house. That's kind of like ridiculous for two people and has weird things like a septic tank. Cause it's like way out, like outside the city, like kind of St. Louis is not as developed as like Chicago is. Right. Um, or it was like, it was the point where the hot neighborhoods, if you wanted to buy like a nice house in the hot neighborhood, it was like, you know, a million and a half dollars. So it was like out of our price range. So we found, we got super lucky that there was like this really nice lot in, in Brentwood, which is like a, you know, like a nice neighborhood in the city that has like good, good schools and stuff. Um, and, uh, and we jumped on it, but it was a new build where like, when we put the deposit down, like they were going to knock the house down like the next week. So um, the blueprint was done, but we like did everything else. And it took, uh, it was supposed to take like a year. So they told us like at the latest, we'd be in it by the end of 21. And when the end of 21 came up, it, it took like three more months. Um, so we, <laughs> so we, Oof. we were, we were renting a house and the, and it ended um, in that summer of 21. And when we moved here, we were like done with apartments forever. We lived in apartments for like 10 years straight and we like couldn't stand living by people anymore. And we went back into apartment and we like compromised because we figured it was like temporary. And we ended up being in that apartment for like nine months. Um, and uh, it was just really, really tough. And then, and then, um, and then we like, and then we moved in. So we, we moved in in March, like, like literally like, you know, three and a half months ago. Uh, and then we, 
um, turned around and told our realtor that we're leaving. <laughs> so it was kind of, wow. it was kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then in this current job, it, it came up so abruptly and fast. It was just, um, basically I just made the decision that I wanted to look again. Um, probably a whole nother show about like why that is. And then, and, and basically I was connected with, you know, my, my new boss and it would like, I did like an initial like meet and greet zoom thing and it seemed like a perfect fit right away. So I went out there hoping, you know, like looking for reasons to like not take it and stay. And it really, like, you know, I mean, I think it is going to be like a really good fit. So I, we just jumped on it and we figured we'll just have to deal with whatever comes with that. So that's, that's, uh, that's a brutal story. Uh, it's a, that, I mean, it, it obviously has a happy ending in, in, in a way, but as someone who just did kind of the house thing, um, I feel, I feel that, well, so for you, cause you didn't do the integrated MD PhD. How many times did you move when you were still in training? Yeah. 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 And, and I should just say explicitly, so we don't like get canceled <laughs> that, yeah. that like, I feel very lucky because this could be horrible, but the reality is, is that it's like an inconvenience that we can just like, you know, like we, like we have the, we have the funds and everything to like manage all of this. And we'll just like, we'll, we'll end up, it'll end up working out, you know? And, and if this was yeah. right after residency, there's just no way. I mean, it's crazy how expensive everything is now. Um, we, so I did uh, a PhD first um, and then I did med school and then intern year all in Chicago, uh, all at UIC. Um, and we moved, um, we actually moved a lot, uh, but all like within Chicago. So, uh, we, we moved, uh, and we moved twice during PhD. Um, I moved home for the beginning. Uh, we, we moved in with, with her, in, with my in-laws basically for the beginning of med school, which was an interesting time. And then back to the city for clinicals. And then we moved to back to the in-laws for intern year. Um, so we that moved. sounds about right. Yeah, but we were like, these were all like one bedroom apartments, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, like the moving was like relatively easy. It wasn't like a, a crazy move. But that's uh no, you you know, you give me a, a good, a good idea on that. Cause I, I follow, I mostly follow Rad on Twitter, but I do branch out and, and follow other people. And that's been kind of a conversation. And that was my experience as well of just, um, the trying to, trying to move while in med school and residency and then move right after when you don't really have uh, money, uh, you know, in, in general was incredibly difficult. And, uh, I mean, I basically rode credit card debt for all of residency from just like interviewing and, and moving and, and, and stuff. Um, and, uh, kind of the logistics of, of doing that is, um, I guess, I guess isn't really talked about as much as I thought, but I do see that conversation kind of happening in certain spaces on Twitter. So uh, oh. maybe that would be a good thing to eventually do, talk about do you follow that that financial guy that's like kind of i don't know how new he is but i feel uh, like i think tyler olson is that yeah he, i don't know is it, i don't know if it's new or if it's new to me but uh, he, if it's who i'm thinking of i think yeah it, I, I feel like i've been noticing him that particular person for at least a year or two i feel like he, yeah it is it's olson planner yeah yeah um well wow he's got he's got nineteen thousand followers i didn't realize that um he yeah. he's you know i don't know if there's other people doing this but like that's it's pretty smart man he just like came on med twitter and was like hey i'm a financial yeah. advisor <laughs> i thought the same thing because i don't know about you but uh, i get bombarded all the time on linkedin with like uh financial advisors uh and and he took a a novel tactic or at least i haven't seen someone else in that space whereas on my linkedin is just littered with financial advisors um trying to get me to talk to them oh you know what's crazy too is i saw like 
he actually gave me advice. Like I, like he, you know, he doesn't know it, but, but I saw a conversation he was having about umbrella coverage. Do you, do you have umbrella coverage? Uh, I, wow. Uh, you know, I honestly forget at this point. I we don't, yeah, we should. That's make- a whole other, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I don't remember. I haven't looked at that in like a year. You're making my brain hurt. I haven't thought about that in, since the end of residency. <laughs> well, we, this is, we probably shouldn't make this like a financial show, but, yeah. um, but yet we, we have an advisor, like sort of what we, you know, my, it's just my wife and I, and we like, don't, you know, like, I think your life gets more complicated if you have kids and things like that. Like we just, you know, so I don't have a lot of things, but I, I basically saw that and I wrote an email to my financial person. I was like, should I have umbrella coverage? And she was like, yeah. That, um, <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. He, he, yeah. So he sold me coverage indirectly. basically. And he didn't, I live my life like that. That's, that's what Twitter is for. I just tried one of the partners. Uh, I was trying to convince him that the other day I'm like, people who aren't on it don't understand kind of if you follow the right people and things on Twitter, it's just like incredibly helpful professionally. Um, like I don't think I follow a single non-medical person on Twitter, um, and so my my Twitter looks probably very different than a lot of people. But Med Twitter is um, very powerful. Um, yeah, no, it's super important. I don't know if you ever waded into non-medical Twitter. It is an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs> I no, I yeah, I've tried to. Like I also sometimes Twitter will suggest me things, and I, I don't understand it. Uh, I don't get how people talk about things. Like I, med, medical Med Twitter makes sense to me. Like even if it's not radong, Med Twitter makes sense. Yeah. Um, but other stuff does not. Um, yeah, there's some good people. There's some really good follows too. I, I really like that um, that urologist uh, woman, Ashley Winter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Me, me too. Actually, uh, it's it's funny. Uh, I, I'm thinking about trying to work in vaginal estrogen now, just because it's a big part of my Twitter right now, and that um, <laughs> I get a couple uh, endometrial patients on Beam. So that's a whole other. That's a great idea. Um, I'll I'll add that to a similar suggestion about nicotinamide for um, skin cancer. But that's all. Look, that's we just spawned 30 new episodes from that. Well, I mean, so I guess uh, I, I'm very interested in um, uh, kind of with with exactly what you just said. Uh, but also, do you how much contact do you have with the the residents in your current job in terms of their job search stuff? Um, a, a lot, actually. Uh, so you're probably even more it's, even though I just went through it as the transition, you're probably even closer to it than I am. Uh, secondhand you mean like like talking to the residents and things yeah because i mean so so i think for i realized for this time of year and the people i've been talking to uh it's that the there is no formal training in med school at least in the places i've been there was no formal training in you know what what a contract is beyond very vague terms but how we get paid and what is a good contract and a bad contract and things and so i don't know if you've been uh you know, I guess kind of, and, and for you specifically how your current or your new job differs from your old job in terms of your, what your contracts looks like in, in very obviously general terms, not, you know, violating yeah. any NDAs yeah. or anything, but no, it's, yeah, it's what's, um, so it's funny. Cause I just, so I'm actually not, so I am, I, I do interact with them, but I'm, it's, it's interesting because I'm too, I'm probably too junior to like really help a ton. Um, because I'm not, you know, like at Washu, like some of the people are like super connected to like everyone in the country. So it's, you know, they don't come to me to help like, you know, start things, but I tried to interact with them a little more. And I felt very strongly this year because of, you know, my job change. And I wanted to like, um, you know, meet with them and kind of talk about the, I felt like my view of the market and what I was looking for, like kind of changed and I had a better understanding of it this time around. So like, I wanted to try to like share that with them. So, so I just did this like session and it, 
to me, it felt like it was like really disorganized and rambling and not that helpful, but they seemed to really like it. And we really, we just talked about how different jobs are structured. Um, but uh, in the more, yeah. in a more general sense, like, um, like what does it really mean when you're academic, if you're a physician scientist, if you're clinical track, or if you're like a satellite, um, and to the best of my knowledge, I know there's probably even more models out there than I haven't seen, uh, how is private different? Um, you know, I asked them, I was like, what do you, what would you call my job, my new job, which is, you know, a private company that's like a quote, faith-based nonprofit that has like mm. trial academic interests, you know, what do you call that? Right. It's like, who knows? It's private emics, man, private private. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, so my message to them was about like trying to get a lot more specific about what you're looking for. Um, and then, and then going for that. And, uh, and I think that's a good, like, it's sort of like what you're asking, right. Is like how the differences and what they're structured, like, how does that affect? Yeah. Cause I guess, so from a, from a, a general standpoint, so I, I had kind of mentally separated jobs into three main buckets. So one is, is academic and then, you know, kind of all the subdivisions from there. Two is, well, I guess it's two. So two is, is private, but within private, it's, uh, like hospital employed or true private practice, like physician uh, owned um, PLLC sort of groups. Right. And so, yeah, you can branch off from there. So I guess your current. Your, and including, your, in, including that last group would be like, a, would be like a multi-specialty physician group. Right. Yeah. Any, anything where you're not technically well, because in the in the wider world, it's it's you know, are you a W two or are you a 1099 employee? So yeah. Because um, yeah. uh, so for me right now, I'm uh, part of a, a a true physician-owned single specialty private practice. I'm an associate, so I am technically a W two employee, but the group operates on a pro fee contract, which we can talk about. But yeah, um, I guess in your current job, in your academic job. Um, like kind of what, how, what were you hired as? Did it mutate at all? Um, you know, how is it structured? Can you just kind of tell me about that? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's pretty like, it's not going to be like surprising, I think. To, so, so basically, um, I was hired on as an, you mean, you're talking about my WashU job, right? Your WashU job. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I was hired on as, as an academic physician track. And so what that means is you have a, an academic appointment in the university, um, and then you also are like an attending physician at, at whatever center you're treating patients at. And for us, we're actually credentialed at like a large number of centers because the, our network is large and we, it's kind of, co- it's decentralized and we kind of go to all of them if we need to or coverage and things like that. So, so I was hired on as that. Um, it's basically a, a, a base salary um, with, with a bonus um, based on production. Um, and what's actually quite different is that for this kind for the one I had, it, it wasn't, um, in there. Like there's not a, um, I mean, it's in there a little, but there's not like a very, um, you know, wordy written out like explanation of how that's that's structured other than like, here's the base. Um, and then here's like, you know, there will be a production bonus. My, my new one, I guess we can talk about the differences, but something that's very different that I actually liked was there it like in the, the letter, there's actually like a grid that shows like your take your like, you know, your gross pay uh, compare like for each RVU level. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, exactly, you know, what, what that's going to be. Um, it's funny though, because I was thinking how, when I came out of residency, I didn't like, I don't know what 9,000 RVUs like feels like, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know what that actually means. So that wouldn't have been as helpful, but now just after having four years of getting reports twice a year of how many RVUs I'm 
I'm hitting and I've had, you know, pretty wildly variable volumes over the four years, I kind of know what those feel like. So it made me more confident that like the pay that I would get for the level of work, um, you know, was, was, you know, like I, I kind of knew what it was going to be, if that makes sense, because I kind of know what that felt like for my day-to-day practice. No, I, I guess. And, and that I think is a really super important point. And I don't know how many residents really truly understand that. And I honestly don't even know how many of us still truly understand that because, you know, the concept of an RVU and an RVU target really varies based on the type of patients you see and treatments you do. So, you know, right now, as far as I'm generally aware, um, stereotactic radiosurgery, the SRS uh, stuff really generates a lot of uh, RVUs. And so if you have one physician who's seeing a hundred patients, uh, and they're like breast and you're treating them with 3d. And then you have another physician who's seeing a hundred patients, uh, and they're all SRS patients. Uh, you know, the RVU difference there is going to be massive. Um, right. and I, I think that, so, you know, for you then, um, kind of over the years, did you, did your patient mix and treatments change or were you kind of like, how did that work for you over the years at, at WashU? Yeah, they, they kind of did a little bit. I think, um, that, uh, I, you know, I started um, as the, the chief of sarcoma um, and it was a kind of a slow ramp up because before I came, it was um, a mix of people that were treating sarcoma. Um, and, I, I, you know, just to be totally honest, like some of them were like not super eager to let go of it. Right. And well, so, sure, yeah. And, and I think that's actually a really important point because I think to some extent that probably happens in every practice. Like it's, you know, it, people need to be like more honest, I think about that financial incentives are very strong in subtle ways. Um, and, and, you know, it's not like the stuff we talk about where you like put someone on protons to make money. I mean, maybe someone does that, but that's not, I don't think most people act that way. Yeah. It's more, it's more like just subtle stuff. Just like, you know, like if, if some surgeon that doesn't refer for sarcoma all that much sends them to the person they used to send them to, even though I'm now there, like that person would just accept them and treat them instead of send them to me like that right. kind of a thing. And so that part was um, a little frustrating in the first couple of months because, um, and I sort of was, I was trying to like tweet this a little bit the other day, but I had like this anxiety about, um, about being busy enough. Right. And, and, and it wasn't even financially driven because I didn't understand yet how busy I had to be to like make a bonus. Um, it, so it was more like I left residency with this like message that you have to be carrying like 15 or 20 patients or otherwise you're like not doing enough. Ah, uh, yes. And, yeah. and in hindsight, that's such a weird message because that it's just, I don't see how you can even apply that across, across practices. It's just like a weird or disease sites, right? It's just a really weird, weird thing. I, I totally, I think it's shorthand. It's easy to say, it's easy to communicate. So we just lazily sort of say that, but I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think about like. <laughs> Sorry, I walked away from like from it. I think about like how everyone that's ever said that to me is like someone that's in like a leadership role in an academic practice. And I was like, do you just want like all your people like treating a bunch of people? Is that, like, right. is that why yeah. you say that to people? It's kind of- it, it, it's that's kind of you know, and and uh, I'm definitely guilty of it as well. Where it's just there's no easy way to to shorthand communicate you know, workload. And even, even then, like if somebody tells me they have 20 on beam, you know, I have a general sense, but again, if it's 20 on beam of, uh, SRS, uh, gamma knife, and you're always paired with a neurosurgeon versus, 
20 on beam and it's all head and necks VMAT. Um, and you're, you know, it, that, that's very different. Uh, but we all just kind of hand wave, Oh, it's 20 on beam. It's 20 on beam. Yeah. yeah. So, so then, so, so to kind of answer your question more, cause this is, there's actually, I learned a lot in the second. So like after I was there for about six months, I got more settled. Sarcoma stuff kind of worked itself out. Um, and then we had someone leave just for a new job. And I took over a very busy um, satellite lung practice that was also growing. So um, that like doubled the number of people I was treating. I got super, super busy. Um, I was there like two days a week and I probably had 10 consults across two days and then like a whole bunch of other sarcoma ones at the other site. Um, and, and so my second year there like was the year that I was like clinically super busy. Um, and it was a mix of sarcoma, which it's not this way anymore, but it used to be a lot of people getting 25 fractions IMRT um, and then, or, or 30 fractions IMRT. And then uh, the lung was like a mix of people getting 30 fractions and like SBRT, right? So, so um, it, you know, that year, um, I, I would admit that I was uh, too busy, like that I, more than I like to be. Um, because you, you have to remember that in an academic practice, like you're also doing a lot of academic stuff, which becomes very, you know, that grows and becomes pretty time consuming. And, and so that second year, um, I made a really nice bonus, but I, at the end of it, I was like, this is definitely not worth it. Uh, Cause I felt like I was burned out and working all the time. And it like, wasn't a good thing to, um, to, to try to do. Um, so, so that was a big message to me because what happened then is in my third year, I, that, that was when I got that medical director role and that came with a little base salary bump. Um, and that was the first time that I was like, oh, if I can add base salary, then I can like work a little less and make the same money and, and it would be better. Um, and, and it is true. I think that it's probably always true that you can, if you trade, um, the, the clinical work required to get the same revenue for some kind of a salary bump you get for like a leadership position, it's probably like a little easier on you. I thought it was for me, like, you know, a little admin work is easier than treating like 10 more patients a week. Right. Uh, yeah. I think, I think everyone would agree with that one, or at least I hope, I don't know. Yeah. And like, I mean, I did a lot. I tried to build out service, you know, we built up the prostate thing. We were looking at like ADT, um, you know, we were doing all this stuff. So I was in meetings all the time and things like that, but, but like, it, it still felt, I mean, I don't know, man, like, like, I just feel like patient care is, is incredibly stressful these days, but just like, um, it's everything other than sitting with the patient, right. It's like all the other crap that goes on. So I think, oh yeah, the patients are the best part. I wish I could get to do more than 10% of my day with that part, but I know it's <laughs> part of me wants to just like sit with them all day in the rooms and like, just blow everything else off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've definitely done that. I definitely, you know, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just going to sit in these rooms today. That's what we're doing today. Um, so yeah, so it was kind of like a journey and, and that I think that did bias the way that I view things now. Um, Cause I find it very interesting that um, when I went out now um, I, I'll admit that the like financial structure of the deal was a little less important than some other things that we could, I guess, talk about. Um, but I was, I was very much seeking a practice that had a good base salary, uh, that where the culture of the practice was to like, um, you know, not, not be doing 12,000 or 13,000 RVUs a year, uh, more like nine to 10, which, which to me felt like a good solid number where you're busy enough to stay good. Uh, and you're, and, but you're not like, you're still like, you know, going home at night and hanging out with your family and like going out on the weekends. <laughs> that's sort of like what I was looking for, you know? So, so that's what my, my new job is basically. Um, and, and I did talk with the residents about, about culture, because I think that that's a really important thing, right? I mean, the, 
there's like personalities that these practices have. I think. Oh yeah. 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 No, I think that's definitely true. And that's, so, you know, in general, uh, for, for the academic jobs, I think the, what you just described for your job is in what I've usually heard for most, which is where there's a, a base salary and then there's a bonus structure. Um, and the, for you, um, I guess two questions. One, was what was the the length of each contract agreement and then was there ever like a clawback component meaning that if you didn't hit a target would was some of your base salary ever at risk no and so yeah that's a great that's a great question and point i i would never so personally i would never take a job like that i i'm because i'm risk averse and i i would just worry that i'd always be worried i like need to treat enough um so that that would have been um, so we didn't have that. So something I really liked about my first job and about the same one now is that there's no floor. So mm-hmm. like there, it's a guaranteed base. And even if you don't cover your cost, you still get the base. And, and, and then that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of, I think that's pretty, fortunately, pretty uncommon. I, I can kind of only think of one major place that I I'm aware of that does that. So I think the at-risk component, at least in academics is pretty uncommon, but was your, yeah. was your contract like a three-year length, a five-year length or. No, oh, so this is what's so there isn't there wasn't one. Um, I, I don't know if I am I like allowed to talk about this? Probably, right? I don't know. That uh, I mean, we can before we release it, we can double check, but yeah, yeah, no, so like they're, keep they're it general, actually, keep it general. So it was uh, it, it was a letter. Um, it, it was so like one thing that that is true is it was it's a very um, it's a very fair contract. And what I mean by that is that there it's a letter. Um, so you actually don't sign anything. It's kind of just like, a like an, I think I maybe signed the letter and sent it back, but there's no, like my current job, I, I had to like sign a contract, you know, like th- this was not that. Um, and, and one thing that is very favorable uh, is, is some of the stuff that people talk about that's like restrictions. So like there's essentially no non-compete. Um, part of it is it's maybe a little less relevant because St. Louis is not a highly competitive market and Siteman is, is a huge, like, you know, probably has a giant share of the market. So there's only a couple of small practices that would be within the non-compete. Um, but you could totally live in St. Louis or, or Western Illinois and like totally not worry about that. Um, the, the other thing is there's, there was no, there's no like, um, uh, like, like uh, clause about giving leave or giving notice. And my new boss was like shocked about that. He, I've never heard of that actually. Yeah. 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 Like you, so, you know, I think um, it's funny. I've heard a lot of opinions about this. I generally, I don't know if you feel like 90 days is like standard, but um, in the, in, in the industry it is. And then my follow-up question is, do they have to give you notice, but continue? Oh, you mean, can they like fire me without cause or without and without a time? So, so like in my contract, there is a um, timeline for leave in both directions. Oh, okay. So, uh, so my contract has a um. So my contract basically has two 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 ways to terminate it on on either parties. So there is like a termination for cause for, at the employer level, but there's a termination without cause that both of us could uh, enact. And um, there's so but but there's so if either I or my my group my employer um does a termination without cause, there's a there's a clock on that. You know what? I think so. The answer is no. For my first job, there was nothing on either end, which was interesting. Mm. Um, I, so they I could may, terminate you without any warning notice or reason. I, you know what? I should, I can't say that because I, yeah, don't. I, that, because um, we should, ch- yeah. And obviously, this is so, so this is like a, a, to the bigger point of these are sorts of things that no one tells you about. 
yeah or you even think about yeah. like the fa- like you're not even thinking because like why would anyone ever think about that but yeah. for me it was very so mine mine is longer than 90 days um which is unusual uh and um but the the one thing i liked about it was it was for both directions and this is the only reason i basically like, how, how long is it can you say uh so i think it is uh i think it's at least 120 days yeah um, yeah so i heard i heard of i know somebody that has uh six months which is crazy in my opinion that that is crazy so for so for me because uh, again my experience was really biased by covid and i was starting my job search right when covid hit and so the fact that uh i'm going to keep things general i guess the fact that a very well-known institution pulled contracts of uh, new grads right as covid hit yes and um that scared scared me to death and and so um, that had just happened. And, and to be very clear too, it wasn't just a rat on thing because like my, my residency institution, um, had kind of had multiple people in multiple specialties had contracts pulled because of COVID. Um, and so that was very at the forefront of my mind. And so when I saw the no cause, uh, termination clause in my contract with the longer time period, I actually was comforted by that because I, my biggest concern was, what if my contract was pulled at the end of residency when I hadn't even started? Uh, and, um, you know, what was I going to do then? Because, you know, the financial stuff was very difficult. And, um, so when, when that four month window hit and it was very clear, you know, I, that I was not going to have my contract pulled at least before they would have to pay me something. Um, I was very comforted by that. So it works in both directions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that (laughs) I, I hope like one day, I mean, I'm not optimistic, but it makes me really, I felt, I don't know how it works. I guess I just don't know, but I, I felt like I heard about that too. And I wish that the, the institution that does like, that does that kind of thing would just like absorb the cost because it's just like, you don't do that to people. I was very surprised too. I I think we all know what we're talking about. And it's very surprising knowing that the amount of, of revenue that that institution generates, that was a surprising sort of event. Yeah. And I, and I do know that it's like, you know, it's, I, I, I've, you know, one of the, I tell you, one of the biggest lessons that I learned is being attending is to like give people the benefit of the doubt. Cause always, I, always, always, there's always like so much of a story that like, you just can't believe is even real. Cause every, you know, yeah. so many things, but, but I, and I do know that, you know, hospitals operate on thin margins, but that part, I just feel like that when you're like hanging someone out to dry like that, um, yeah, that was, and, and you know, because there's a lot of rumors like that in in medicine in general, and and especially Radonk. But I, I know that that one was was real, and uh, yeah. so for yeah. me, uh, and it, and that's it's very interesting. My for me and my generation of of those of us from the class residency class of 2021, um, who witnessed all these things across all these specialties and heard all these things, and then we're doing the job search and in, in, in radiation oncology and stuff at that time. So I think it really colored my view of, of the market and, and why I pay attention to specifically these things, which I, I don't know if anyone, uh, this is the longest conversation I've ever had about a, a, a no cause termination clause <laughs> in a contract. Um, but it's, yeah, it's gonna be the most interesting podcast, <laughs> the most, yes, the driest of the dry. And so, and I think, um, uh, I, I, but what I, I should, uh, what I should add well, so, so I don't know for sure, but, um, I, I can tell you for sure that there's not one on, on my end. Like you, you don't have to give notice, which is, kind of crazy and i actually know this for sure because during 
uh, vaccine time, vaccine mandate time, somebody rage quit, like, like with no notice, not, not in our department, like a, a different uh, in the institution, a different department. Um, I actually didn't even know the person, but you obviously heard about this because it was very like, you know, oh, doctors sure. don't rage quit their job. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of like a crazy thing. Um, I don't know about the other end, but I also have never heard of someone getting fired like that without cause. So, so this is interesting because I personally know I, you would assume that um, of all the people with kind of really elaborate Byzantine bulletproof contracts that large academic institutions would have it. But, uh, you know, I, I this is not the first time I've heard of um, kind of no no clock uh, on a on a no cause termination, because I also know established attendings who have left with no notice um, without consequence, really, which, you, you know, is, is kind of surprising. Um, whereas I consider my contract otherwise to be very basic, but that is definitely in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, as so. much as, as much as I feel like, as much as I feel like this needs to be more of just a job, right. People need to like, not make this their whole life. I, I do feel like it's not the kind of job where you really can do that. Like I, I personally felt, um, you know, to a lot of my patients that I, you know, I have a close relationship with a lot of patients. I did feel like I couldn't just like ghost them. That, that just seemed like, you know, not, um, it's, it's like beyond unprofessional. It was just like, not a nice thing to do, you know? Like I just, it is. So. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a, a, an excellent point of, um, you know, there's, there's for us compared to other professions, the sort of longitudinal ethical responsibility and, and how people view that. And I've heard in various kind of shades of this, where, where people can justify their own act. We always, we're never the, the bad guys in our own stories. So, uh, okay. I've, I've heard various justifications for various things, but I, I completely agree where, you know, you have theoretically a large panel of patients and especially at an academic institution, someone like you with kind of more specialty care of, of really people who don't have a lot of places to, to turn to. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of the, what should be the hallmark of academic institutions of just kind of these really hyper specialists who can provide things that can't be done elsewhere to just kind of abandon that. So I, I, I don't know. Um, and I think hopefully as um, time goes on and we get away from COVID, um, people forget about these small aspects, but that's just uh, something else to, to kind of pay attention to. And so I, I think for, um, you know, for our views, it's very interesting. So the MGMA, which is kind of the one of the industry standards for benchmarking workload for physicians and uh, compensation and compensation RVU ratio and blah, blah, blah. The most recent one I've seen, the average RVU or the, the mean RVUs uh, for a full-time uh, attending physician is about 10,000, give or, you know, give or take. In, so in your opinion, for, for 10,000 RVUs, knowing what you know now, do you feel like that's representative? Is that a lot? Is that a little? How do you feel about 10,000 RVUs? Yeah, I think it's, yeah. I think uh, you mean like just in my, I think in my experience, it's probably average. Um, I, I, I think that my um, new job will probably be a little less due to the culture of the practice. That's and and just to really make it uh, ironic, given what we were just talking about, I'm trying to think of of uh, to easily translate how much ten thousand RVUs would is, be, and that's going to be fifteen to more 20. like nine, or are you just you just like I'm, I'm ballpark, yeah, it's like nine it to ten to to me, yeah. So so I I personally don't view that as a huge difference, but yeah, I think it's it's nine to ten or fluctuates, and I I do think so. Assuming a um just a generalist mix where you're seeing kind of a little bit of everything and you've got a mix of 3d and IMRT and SBRT and stuff. I do think that that roughly translates probably to 15 or 20 patients. Um, now that's part of the issue with things like hypofrac and, and all that, where 
to get 15 to 20 patients on beam, you have to see a certain amount of consults every week. And if those patients aren't on beam for very long, then you very quickly, um, you know, are, are kind of losing that. Um, cause you know, for our specialties, our view is generated by number of fractions essentially. Yeah. Um, and so if you're seeing a hundred patients and treating them all with five fractions, your RVUs are going to look very different than if you're treating them with 25 or 30. So, so here's the question I have about that, because if it's, if it's, if you're doing like an average of, of 15 to 20 fractions, which I've seen, like, I know Todd's been tweeting about averages over time, you know? So let's yeah. just say 15 to 20 seems to be the ballpark of like what it used to be. And you go down to five, but you're billing SBRT instead of like a mix of 3D and IMRT. It, do, are you actually making less RVUs or because I, so yeah, yeah I've tried to figure this out uh, upfront. I I'm not quite sure uh, because I, I'm not always sure what the calculus is in terms of getting kind of reimbursement and charges and things translated to an RVU. Cause that, and I don't think that you can kind of, um, standardize that across all, all environments. Um, because if you, the easiest quote unquote, I'm, I'm, I'm doing really big air quotes with the word easiest, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, if you pull up any now the, the, um, price transparency thing, and you can get the, uh, Excel sheets of, of, uh, hospital price transparency and you go and you look down at those CPT codes and you can look at, you know, what an SBRT delivery standard charges versus an IMRT versus like a, a 3d with, with MLCs, like a, a complex device charge, you can kind of see that. So for, um, I, you know, and I know this is talked about on the internet a couple of times. So the question of, uh, right now, I think it's Evacor, they are denying, um, five fraction SBRT for oligomets, but giving you a 15 fraction IMRT. That's a very common thing that's happening right now. And, uh, I went back into my own standard charges and, uh, it's interesting that the standard charge for SBRT is, is roughly almost, almost exactly three times the amount, uh, of a delivery charge for IMRT. So in terms of standard charges, 15 fractions of IMRT is roughly equivalent to, to, um, five fractions of SBRT. And so okay. then, um, you know, there's this whole question of, of bundling of what, what specific CPT codes are you allowed to charge specifically for versus what is, what is bundled, which is a whole other, you know, 17 hour conversation. But, um, you know, then how that translates into RVUs, even if you're bundling it, I, I, I think if you're bundling it and you can't generate those CPTs, I, I do think that would affect your RVUs and we're gonna have to check that at a future time. But, yeah. um, yeah. and I think what's, what's like so frustrating about this from the perspective of a job seeker is that it's not just that, right? Like, so what we're talking about is the number of RVUs that end up adding up to your, I guess, your floor, hopefully, I guess, if you're in a job where you don't, if you don't mean it, you lose money, but then also going into a bonus range. And so people think about that because that's like what your pay is based on. Um, But then there's this, this like, (laughs) like this measure of how busy you are that like, uh, like from the perspective of your boss when you're working, right? So, and, and it used to be new starts. Um, or I don't know if they talk to you about this as a personal physician. Um, I, I get a little bit of it, but I also see it from the medical director side where I'm talking about it for the center. Um, but they used to kind of do new starts and it seems like centers are starting to move to, or sorry, not new, I'm sorry about that, not new starts. They used to do patients on beam and like fractions delivered and that kind of stuff. It seems like now more and more there's a push to try to move towards like new starts because they're trying to capture the fact that 
like the number of fractions is dropping, but doing five of, of a long SPRT is not necessarily less work than, you know, 20 of a breast 3D. That's, so, it, it's funny you bring that up because I, I I do hear about that because I'm the one yelling about it at the top of my lungs at my hospital and <laughs> and because it's it's really hard and and there's other things that I have coming down the the pike about this in particular but I completely agree so so locally um, the our our on beam budget number were behind because you know I, I hypofrac and so that stuff was set in the days of, of in the in the in the long long ago you know five five years ago of of just kind of conventional frac everything. And uh, but if you run the new start numbers, we're we're actually higher. So we're we're ten or fifteen percent higher now in terms of just raw absolute patient numbers than we were five years ago. But our our on beam budget number we're behind on that just because that's that's set uh, on, a, on an on beam target. And so I do think that that really that really does need to be adjusted because because I'm as busy as ever. Um, and, and seeing new, as many new patients as has ever been seen, but our, we're below kind of what the, the budget on beam target is. And it's, it's all nonsense essentially where, you know, it's not based yes. on reality, but you we're humans. We got to benchmark and measure and, and we, we can't exist without these sort of metrics. We, our, our minds melt. So, um, well, and I, I just think it's like, you know, the cynical person in me wants to think it's intentional, but, but because it allows them to, to, to game the numbers, right? Like, because, because the number of people that you're treating and like the work you're doing in the clinic that your boss talks to you about is like disconnected from like your pay and like how much, how many RVUs you get at the end of the year or whatever. Right. Absolutely. Well, it's a growth mindset where, where, you oh, know, yeah. it's yeah. the target's never the same or less the, the on beam target always goes up. Um, yeah. which yeah. it's just, you know, which is nonsense. Um, but it, and, it is just how it is. Right. And that, and that part is, you know, and then, and then one thing that actually is layered over all of that with, with our, uh, system, do, do you have a, um, do you have any additional compensation for, for coverage of procedures like SBRT? Uh, no, that's interesting. So, so in my group, we all just kind of catch each other. So, so no, not in, not in my, uh, okay. my yeah. Okay. Which I would be totally cool with, by the way, because I think, it's, you know, I'm a big fan of like your, everyone's a team and you like help each other do your stuff. Um, I, the, uh, we, we have a cool system where, um, you, we have a batting order rotation that covers SBRT for like the center. Um, and this is actually true at like every center. Uh, and, and then, so to like, kind of to compensate people for the additional work of covering like other doctors, SBRT on, on a specific day there's like a, um, you get like a little, little pay for that. It's not, it's not a lot at all, but it's like, you do get additional for that. And yeah, I, yeah I've heard variations of that, but I, I think that's, that's a good, people respond to incentives. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and like, you know, it's, it's so low that for like, from the center's perspective, it's super cheap. And then like, and now, and it just like really motivates people to cover and it makes it faster. And, you know, it's, it's, it's I think it's really good. Um, the other thing that makes it is like, has been so cra crazy is we have, we, so do you get you guys, do you guys do adaptive uh like on table well, adaptive oh sorry i was gonna say i i have the adaptive uh, 3d printer but no no no, not on the table adaptive no like on, like yeah so the new like on table adaptive treatments like that so it, I, um we're gonna we're gonna do a, an adaptive show i guess i can tease it i'll take the opportunity away from someone <laughs> um, we're, we're gonna do an adaptive show and i'm gonna ask them about this because my understanding is you they're billing a new plan every day is that so uh, I guess what 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 uh, platform do you guys use for adaptive? 
Oh, we have like everything. This is that's the, honestly the, the coolest part about Washu by far is they have like every they have um we have both Vray and uh uh Halcyon Ethos. So yeah, so because we're we're kind of thinking about replacing our old machine and um one of one of our staff is really pushing for a Halcyon and, and adaptive and and I'm just really there's other limitations uh, in my opinion on the Halcyon. So um I so but funny. that there's yeah, a ahead. big draw. No, no, no. Like that that is what I've heard, which would was does change the calculus in in terms of getting that machine. This is probably really ignorant for me to say because I don't know, but it seems to me like if you're a community practice or even a big practice that doesn't have any kind of adaptive service line yet, the Halcyon's compelling to me because I don't I don't know that like the best way to run an adaptive service is really figured out yet. And what's cool about the Halcyon is that it can treat a ton of patients like bread and butter stuff really well and very quickly. Um, we, when, when COVID hit, we actually collapsed, uh, some machines down to like spread people out geographically in the, in our, in the main center clinic. And the Halcyon took on a huge number of patients because it just, it delivers plans so quickly, um, that you can make the time slots really short. Uh, and so I feel like if you're not sure what you're going to do with adaptive, like at the very least, you can have like a workhorse machine that can treat a ton of head and neck and breast and stuff like that um that this is this is very this is a whole i gotta i'll 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 do a whole other thing with my one of my physicists because so so um that is kind of does describe the hospital i chiefly staff or where we have two linax one of them is a, a just a bread and butter true beam and the other one is an old uh, 21ex and we're, we're talking about replacing the 21ex and um you know there there's a lot of um appeal to to the house the halcyon in particular um because of, of what you just mentioned. But to me, some of the drawbacks would be, uh, as far as I am aware, it, it can't do electrons and it does not have a six degree of freedom couch. Um, and those are, are pretty big limitations in terms of, of kind of, so, so, cause the issue I have so, right now, Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, fin finish that thought and then we'll, well, well, so, cause the issue what I have right now in a community center with, with just two, two sort of Linux is that, um, the 21EX can't do VMAT, um, whereas the TrueBeam can. And so I, I usually prefer VMAT for my definitive cases. Um, if the TrueBeam goes down, which obviously is fortunately not that common, but if the TrueBeam goes down, um, that, that's it. There's no redundancy. So those patients are canceled for the day. So, so my preference in this moment and has been is just to have two you know, completely matched TrueBeams for redundancy as a community center with, with two Linux. Um, whereas, you know, there is a lot of draw to the, the Halcyon, but, um, then I'm kind of stuck in the same thing, especially with a Halcyon, where if you put somebody on there and you kind of need that system, then if the Halcyon goes down, then, then you, you've no redundancy built in. So that's just a, a yeah. kind of a smaller thing consideration. It's sort of like, uh, <laughs> I keep telling my wife that I want an electric car, but it can't be our only car. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. It's exactly that. So no, it's like it's. But but what's so so? I I would honestly, if if I had two vaults, I would like a true beam and a halcyon would be like really cool. Um and and again, like I I hope somebody like you know hears this and argues and gives good arguments against this because I I genuinely don't know. This is just like a guess. But what what's nice about it is, um, like I said, it, it's fast, so it can treat a ton of patients and and. People complain that like it's CT based. So like, they're like, well, the M MR adaptive is better for the abdomen. And that is true. But my sense is that it's only a matter of time until the, M until the CT adaptive on ethos is like almost as good or as good. And, and you can do so many things with it. And, you know, I can't, I guess, talk in specifics, but I, I do think that there's a motivation to make it a very versatile machine 
that can do lots of things for a clinic, including adaptive. The MR platform seems to me like it only does adaptive and there's, it almost seems like there's a little bit of a struggle to find indications for it. Um, well, I, I think, you know, lost in this conversation and, and um, you know, Varian is a smart company, so I, I assume they're just kind of being tight-lipped about it. But the the, the Halcyon, uh, it, it's two separate things. So there's the the technology behind the adaptive therapy, and then there's the machine it's tied to. So right. the downside for me is the fact that it's an Atomo. If they could put the, the adaptive, the Halcyon kind of system in a true beam, then it's not even a question. Like, yeah. uh, and because and the, the Tomo machine that the adaptive kind of software built in was not meant to be what it is at least as far as i've heard it was kind of um because it is is halcyon is the software or the or is halcyon ethos which one is is which? oh Halcyon. well so again like i'm sure someone will will uh no one's written in yet to like correct anything and I, I don't know if this <laughs> is right but but the halcyon is the hardware like the machine and the the ethos is like the, the software platform that, that's what I thought too. So what I want, and and I know people who have asked Varian, and they won't give us an answer. Like, why? I I just want the adaptive platform put in a true beam, and they haven't done it yet. And and you know, I've kind of heard mixed things about Varian being Varian smart. Like, I'm sure that's going to happen at some point, but I assume it's going to be after they've saturated the market with the Tomo kind of version of it. But um, yeah, for me, if 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 you could put adaptive in a true beam, I would I would push so hard to get that like tomorrow. That's interesting. Um, the imaging is not nearly as good on the true beam compared to it's Yeah. It, it's specifically just the limitations of a Tomo therapy unit. Um, you know, no, nothing beyond that. Um, and then for me, you know, in my, so it's, it's cause nobody has really an, an accurate sort of measure about, um, numbers of practices and types of practices and whatnot. So for, for someone in my position, staffing a community hospital, two linear accelerators trying to make this decision about, okay, we already have a true beam. We need to replace the older one. What are we going to get? Those are sort of the, my, my considerations at a, at a community yes. center, like redundancy and things. And, and your point about electric cars is essentially that. Whereas if you're a giant academic institution and you can like UTSW just has their adaptive like center where all they did was just plug in a bunch, which is incredible. But so if you have that kind of capital and resources and, and, and patient population, then these conversations are, are, are one thing. But, um, you know, I think lost in the mix is, is just, um, why, why, why are we tied to this software being available only in a tomotherapy unit? Um, and is that the most sort of economic yeah. choice for a community that center? But that's that center makes me feel like they know something that everyone else doesn't I, yeah i mean it, it, it's it's uh well if you're building a new plan every day then um i, I totally agree it's very but large that's, yeah it's, it's very well it's like you know because when i was texting you the other day where i was asking you to do uh 30 and 10 palliative protons uh my, my my concern is like the the people who have access to these these amazing things first um I, abuse is way too strong a word but but find these loopholes uh, and and kind of use them uh, to the fullest extent until CMS or somebody cracks down, and then by the time it finally trickles down to the rest of us, it's it's like why we're still stuck doing 3D for breasts is just because of things yeah. that were done before the rest yeah. of us could could adopt it. And so um, the, this is know. this by the way, this totally goes to to what I said before because it's it is not the doctor. Like I mean, they they right. do it, but but I've seen I even saw this as resonant. Like the places invest money in these machines, and they want you to to put people on them. Right. So yeah. I've seen this, I'm pretty sure this happens to everyone. So it's like not a secret, but I think that there's pressure to put people on machines. And I think, um, and you know, and so, so like, I think when, when people do that, 
uh, it's like, what are you, you're not going to tell your boss, like, no, right? Like you have to listen to them. So I think that it's, that's where those loopholes come from just to defend the doctors a little bit. I think, I, I mean, I would defend the doctors, obviously, cause I am one like this, it's silly, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we have so little control, um, in just these conglomerates, especially in these academic medical center giants, like oh, yeah, we're yeah. just a small yeah. piece of it that you carry all the liability, but none yeah. of uh, Dude, that the chairs don't even have control. It's above yep, yeah. them, right? No, it's, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, but the thing I wanted to say is like, so, so for the, the, I don't get the, so I guess I have not felt limited by, I guess what you're calling a Tomo. I didn't realize that was like a term to describe a style of machine. I thought it was like the brand. No, uh, tom, Tomo therapy is different than a linear accelerator. Well, I mean, there's so, so a, a, a Tomo therapy unit, it's like, um, like a spiral CT. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it, um, no, the, the Tomo, the way a Tomo therapy unit delivers radiation is different than a, a, a regular quote unquote linear accelerator. Subtly, subtly. I mean, not, you know, uh, not- so yeah, well it's, um, now, you know, I'm way too far out from physics boards to kind of, uh, explain as, as I recall, the difference is the patient moves through the, the unit, uh, instead of the, uh, arm rotating around the patient. Uh, right right but like right so that's that's a subtle you know it's not like how electrons is different from oh sorry sorry yeah 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 electrons. but but so but so i but i would say that um and so my my just to be i guess explicit your your concern about that is that just its limitations and what how it can plan and like the like the types of plans that it can make really well yeah it's it's specific because you don't get couch kicks, but yeah. interestingly, given the the conversations we've had about patients recently, um, you know, for me in my environment, I have a high skin volume, um, and I use electrons a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. and so it does depend on your patient mix. Where if if you don't, and now where where I did residency, so um, you know, Yale at the main campus at least uh, used had an orthovoltage machine and used it a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the electron feature of the linear accelerators is not as commonly used just because we had an orthovoltage. So why wouldn't you? So if you're doing, if you've got an orthovoltage or you're doing a breaky for skin, like that's one thing, but, um, you know, for, for me, we, we use a lot of electrons. So that component of a linear accelerator is important for my local patient population. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so yeah, but, but so, right. That's kind of why I feel like it can't be your only one, but just to comment on, um, you know, we do, we do lattice on Halcyon, which is like, um, and, and lattice is generally two full coplanar arcs and then two offing two couch kicked arcs. Um, like when we do it on true beam, that's, that's what it is for, for like most patients, unless they're like super lateral, we'll do half beam, half arcs and stuff like that. But, but generally it's those four arcs. And so when we started like doing lattice on Halcyon and also V-Ray, um, I was like, you know, these plans are going to be crappy and they, they actually, uh, they were crappy like for a couple of days and then they were awesome. <laughs> so physics, the physicists can like, you know, they seem to be able to, um, that may just be like a privilege that I get with the strong washing physics, but, um, but I, if they showed me a Halcyon versus a true beam plan, like blinded, I probably would not be able to tell the difference. The well, only that's, one, yeah, yeah, I'm, the I'm only curious what your experience would be. The only one I would have, would have been the, the old school, um, cobalt V-Ray. You could tell with that. Um, but the, co- even the, an actual cobalt machine or is that the brand name? No, no, no. The, the, the first V-Ray was a, was a cobalt machine. Oh, I was did it, not know that. I, 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 I've never, I, uh, it maybe I'm almost, I, I, it, I, it is, I'm pretty sure <laughs> you should, you should. Yeah. I, I'm, this is not, this is not technology that I've, I've had access to. So I don't know. It was like the first, 
the first model. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. If you, <laughs> oh, that's super use, cool. They have like investor FAQs. V-Ray's cobalt-based radiation technology is a breakthrough. It's crazy. I, I mean, that logically <laughs> tracks given kind of the limitations, but uh, you can never tell anymore like what when somebody says cobalt. I, my mind immediately goes to that's a brand name. That's, yeah, no, uh, so so this mm-hmm. is, uh, but that's the old one. So like that, that one's actually gone. So we don't have it anymore. The one we have now is the, is the like the Linac V-Ray. Um, that, uh, that's super interesting. Yeah. So that one you could tell, um, the, it, you know, it's subtle, but, but like you could definitely tell. And then, and then the new one, um, again, I mean, like, uh, one, one time I even, they gave me a V-Ray plan and I went to my James, like the physicist at his lattice. And I was like, this is a crap plan. <laughs> and he showed me like objectively with his quality metrics that it was the same as the true beam. <laughs> I just like, it was totally biased. I thought it was, you know, I, I, I knew it came from the view race. So I was like, this is crap. That's so, so this is really interesting. Cause I know both of our ADD kicked in and we went off on a, on a tangent, but cause in terms of, of, of job evaluation, I never understood, oh, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> that is, that is ostensibly what we came here to talk about. So, cause for me, and I don't know if you got this piece of advice, a common piece of advice I got was, um, make sure, you know, all of the machines of your residency institution, um, and, and be prepared to talk about it. And, and that was just kind of passed down and I didn't quite understand it, uh, deeply until kind of where I am now and, and exactly what this conversation is, is where it went, where, you know, in terms of, of where you go for a job, um, the technology is incredibly, it, it, I, we're, we're, that's a, an upside and downside to our, our job is that what we can or cannot do is explicitly tied to the machines we have or don't have. Thanks for listening. Find us on Twitter at Dr. Becta or at www.bectamd.com or a million other ways to find us because we're all over the internet. But this has been Out of the Basement. I'm Dr. Jason Becta, and we'll see you next time.